Comrades, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Jeff and Robert. First new show of the year with Jeff and Robert. How you doing, homie? Uh, pretty Happy good. New year. Um, let's see. I had a, I don't know. We're uh, obviously we're gonna get into um, Israel Palestine. That's, I mean, that's kind of the defaults. It's kind of the default setting now. But um, I had a good talk with my dad today. I was literally like screaming. I walked to go get lunch and I'd like calling my dad to be like, dad, have you, what do you know about the tunneling Jews? Like the, the Jews that built the tunnel in New York. Mean, I was like, you, you are king of the Jews, right? Like, so you know about this. And he was like, as a matter of fact, I do. I've been there. I'm like, were you in the tunnels? And he's like, no, I didn't know they were doing a tunnel. But like, he's like, yeah, he's like, they're weird. And I'm just like, oh, ho, ho. I'm like, so maybe we should have my dad. Like, we should have my dad on the show. To talk Absolutely. To let's do it. It's so hilarious, dude. Yeah. But yeah, well, that's what I've been up to. Hell yeah. Well, let's 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 get him on and, and we can definitely like like have a little conversation. I've actually not been like so privy funny, to the I, I've been like disconnected from like national like weird stuff like that. Like like the the tunnel conversation is something that I haven't even like but I was going to say, we. I think, you know, with the bummer, how terrible the world is, we can let people have some dessert before they can eat, before they eat their veggies. So I, I think it's completely fair game that we talk about the, the tunnel. So you don't really know anything about it, huh? Nope. Okay. So I'm just going to, like, plagiarize since that's, like, the um, the buzzword of the week, you know. It's the word <laughs> of the day. It's play, is plagiarize. I'm just going to read from BBC. Uh, I just pulled it up real quick, so that way we get all the facts straight. Um, illegal New York synagogue tunnel to nine arrests. We before we do that, before we do that, let's introduce our guest. Uh, before we do that, we have uh, Connor Lewis, um, who is uh, well. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Connor. Uh, hey, you guys. Uh, I am a um, labor council president and a union organizer in Central PA. Yeah, and we haven't had you on the show in like years. It's probably been about two or three years since we've had Connor on, so it's really great to have you back. Like it's been a while. Happy to be back. Yeah, returning champion. Well, anyway, so Robert was just getting us uh, started, and 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 uh, he wanted to talk actually to, to kind of start the conversation about this. Oh. Uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead and kick it off, Robert. I was gonna say. I mean, like, I I was crying, calling my dad up, just laughing so hard. And he's like, yeah, I've been there. I can tell you about it. And I'm like, please save it. Maybe we'll we'll do we'll have you on the show in the future. And then I want to hear all about like this sect of Judaism and like what you thought about them. But like, I'll just read from the BBC article, which is hilarious um, in itself. And then we'll get to the part that's even more hilarious. Uh, nine members of the New York Hasidic Jewish community have been arrested and charged over a secret tunnel that connected to a historic synagogue. They fought police um, after city officials and leaders of the Chabad Lubavitch uh, headquarters came to close the tunnel. The men are charged with criminal mischief. I love that mischief as like an actual charge. It just sounds <laughs> hilarious. Um, and that's exactly what it is. This is mischief. 
yeah. uh, reckless endangerment and obstructing governmental administration. Uh, a spokesperson for the synagogue um, called them a group of extremist students. The tunnels were built under a prominent street in Brooklyn where the Chabad Lubavitch, I know I'm saying that wrong, uh, headquarters are located. Uh, the building is one of the most significant Jewish sites in the city. And just to kind of cut to the chase, uh, I think everybody gets the idea now. Um, they were digging tunnels. Who cares why? I don't know. I don't. That's not the part that's important. The part that these tunnels were operational, one, in a time where it's like we're talking about Kamas and their tunnels. Like this is the ultimate. Like you can't tell me that we're not living in the simulation because this is the ultimate like Black Mirror uh, epic, um, ironic episode of Black Mirror. But it's that plus it's the 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 funniest episode of Kirby Enthusiasm that never got um, that never got written because so on top of the tunnels, the tunnels themselves are already hilarious. There's video of this Hasidic Jew coming out of the tunnel onto the main onto the street and just running away like he's a ninja turtle. That's hilarious. And then three, there's <laughs> tweets from a guy from earlier this year. If you've seen these tweets, I can't think of his name. I don't want to look it up. But you, if you if you do New York Jewish tunnel tweets, you'll find them. He tweeted out, "This is I'm I'm not you can't write." Larry David could not write this. He tweeted out, "Let's just find it so that way because I don't want to I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it. See Jewish what I just said tunnel." Okay, so the point is, this guy tweets out, he goes, I know how this, it's something to the effect of, I know how this sounds, but I swear to you, there are Jews tunneling underneath me. I live oh, no. in a bottom, he goes, I live in a bottom floor apartment and I can hear I Yiddish. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, and then today he tweeted out, or last night he tweeted out, a lot of y'all owe me an apology. This literally had me in bed last night reading Twitter crying. I was crying because I imagine myself like of the like, how are you this guy? Like, let me see here. Oh, actually, I think I put it on my on my Facebook. I'm just like, I'm so giddy right now because this is like we close comedy because there's no more. There's nothing else that's as funny that's ever going to be this funny ever again. You just just shut shut all comedy down. Let's see. Okay, here he is. So he says, this is Richard Stolschler. There are Jews living under my apartment. I hear them. It's like they are digging or something. For the record, I live at ground level and we do not have a basement. And like, imagine if you're that guy. And it's like, you've got a secret that you really can't even tell anybody. Because one, you probably think you're going crazy. Like you're like, you're, you're schizophrenic. And then two, you're like, if I tell somebody this, I'm going to sound like, the biggest Nazi who's ever Nazi'd. I'm going to sound like the craziest Nazi in the world. And like he tweeted out today, I am not crazy. He's like, cause he's been, he's been justified. It's like, how is this not a Kirby enthusiasm episode? Like another tweet about the guy, the, you know, the Ninja Turtle. I don't know which one he was. Donatello, <laughs> Raphael, you know, Michelangelo. I don't know, but he popped out. He popped out of the sewer and just ran into the night. <laughs> Somebody tweeted with the with the the video of that. I said, "Imagine seeing a Jewish guy crawl out uh, from a secret sewer tunnel in New York. 
not having your phone out to record it and trying to tell people about it without sounding like the most anti-Semitic person ever. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like if it would happen to me, I was was telling my dad, it's like, I would have been calling ghostbusters, ghost hunters. I'd have been like, this is insane. Like I would have been forcing people to be like, do you hear that? Tell me I'm not crazy. Again, funniest episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm you're never going to see. Larry, Larry David could never, never write this. No it's human so could. Good. Reality, this is why like fiction doesn't work for me. I don't know. But, like Fiction never works for me because like reality is so much goofier and funnier than like anything that could actually happen. I don't know. Connor, you have anything to say about this? I am quite literally speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to contribute to this. The- and my dad was like, I told him that. It's like, imagine me and that guy. And he goes, oh, I never thought of that. He goes, that is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the tunneling. It's not Orthodox Jews. It's not Hasidic Jews. It's hearing it, knowing what's going on, and you can't do anything about it because everybody is going to think you're a racist psychopath that needs to be, needs to be committed. This is one of those things where context is absolutely like necessary and also like just adds to the like it's like 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 just throw it in the gumbo. It's all flavor. You know what I mean? It's like it's like if it's like if we had Twitter, if there was Twitter back in like the Underground Railroad days, there would have been like slave catchers tweeting out like I can hear I can hear them. I can hear the insects. <laughs> I know they're around. I am not crazy. <laughs> These Quakers are hiding them in the basement. <laughs> like, what on earth, dude? All right. Same thing to think about. All right. I, that was my fun. That's, I've been on that since last night, man. I just been, I've been dying, bro. I can't even. All right. No, there's no more comedy. There's no all right. Shut it, shut it all down. To move on just just a bit from from that um, from that from whatever that is, um, this, the world giving us a treat. I can assure you, this is not why we asked Connor to come on the show. That is not why we asked him to come on the show. I actually wanted to talk to Connor a little bit about um, sort of the well. So one of the one of the things that's like been. But like really kind of sitting on me this entire time. And you and I have talked about this quite a bit, Robert. But like in this run up to this like 2024 election, that's going to happen. Like like you've mentioned that like in, in your personal capacity, like like there is almost no space for you to like get behind and support Democrats or like Joe Biden in 2024 election, which is like totally fine. Like I have, like I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly there or whatever, but like I can definitely understand and respect the perspective. And to fill and Connor like, in, yeah, I want to fill our guest in of just like, because there's a little more to that where I've always said like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't like, you know, like I, I don't like our Democrats, I don't like Joe Biden, but it doesn't matter because I'm here in Louisiana, so if I, you know, my my vote for the Democratic Party is not going to do anything. But I did live in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is like the cross the crossroads of the electoral world. So, you know, Hamilton and Cuyahoga County, yeah. that's where, you know, that's where elections run through. And I would have been like, oh, I'm going to hold my nose and I'm going to vote for Biden. Like, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, now, uh-uh. if I if I lived in Cincinnati right now, I, I, I'd so, have the same plan 
that I have right now is um, I'm staying home. So, 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 and, and just to kind of like to add on to that, like there is, like, that is a position that I can like understand and respect. Mm -hmm. Just like, like, I, I might not, I mean, like, like, I mean, to a certain extent, I do agree with it, but also to a, like, to a larger extent, like, there's a, there's a huge conflict there because of like some of the like more, like social democratic reforms that have been able to be implemented by by like a democratic administration and and things like that which are like I mean again if the price for that is like the support of a genocide in Gaza and things like that is it worth it or 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 even that even beyond that like like even if I can take that position how can I convince somebody else who doesn't have who who isn't like in that who 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 um might have a different perspective than me. How do you how do you make that sale? And 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 just to take it even a step further to to, to have it to, to 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 talk about like the Democrat strategy in this whole thing is that the the Democrat strategy is like if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you're like a traitor or something like that, or you're like interested in causing havoc or chaos or like trying to implement like authoritarianism. So so I don't know, Connor. It's a bit like a big wind up and a big matzo ball. Can you sort of like speak a little bit at least to this? to this issue a little bit and maybe we can kind of like kick off a little conversation there. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I've, I've thought about this yeah. a lot and I'm going to keep thinking about it a lot, but to, to kind of preface all of that, I think it's, it's worth kind of sharing where I personally kind of where I'm at, uh, as an individual. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what I can say about the level of frustration with Biden that a thousand people haven't yeah. already said. I, I don't have anything unique to contribute to that. And I think that on a big picture level, honestly, as bad as the choices have been in the past, I can't recall an election where my choices were someone aiding and abetting a genocide and yeah. a fascist. Like, that, that's an impossible situation to be in. And it's a true test to the lesser like, evil I, I, like yeah. argument, right? Right. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing I always come back to is, is I, 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 I try not to look at it as a question of mm -hmm. lesser of evil. Um, I try to look at it from a big picture perspective of what's, what's the terrain I want to mm -hmm. organize on, you know, what, what option is going to afford more favorable terrain to organize? Because the, the big problem is that a lot of Americans, um, even a lot of people on the left, you know, relate to politics in a very kind of like top down way. It's everything is about the presidency. Everything is about, you know, like, and that's kind of like the, the focal point for political action for doing like something positive is winning the presidency. And then I guess waiting for executive action to fix everything. From my perspective, you know, it's, it's clearly like a big piece. You can make, even make an argument. It's the biggest piece. Um, but it's about the terrain that, you know, that different options afford because, you know, from my perspective, the real work that has to be done right now to actually get anything better than the crap options in front of us is yeah. in organizing cool. workplaces. And, you know, ultimately, you know, it's a garbage position to be in. Like as of right now, if I were, you know, put in front of a polling booth right now, I would vote for Joe Biden. I would say that it would be 
like it would feel worse than any vote I have ever taken since I started voting in 2006. Like I, I would even worse, like I voted for Hillary Clinton in, in 2016. I did, I, I wasn't happy about it, but I did it. It'll feel worse than that. Um, and I'm only doing it because, you know, it's, it's a question of the terrain I want to organize on. And, you know, I think that the, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, it kind of gets into maybe some more detail about, you know, um, democratic yeah. strategy here. But well, let's get um, into the, let's get into, yeah, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. but the thing, I mean, and like, just to add, yeah. let's get into the strategy I, I, of it, actually, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So, like, really quickly, I'm going to pause yeah. the station ID. You listen to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. Uh, this is Good Morning Comrade. We have Jeff, Robert, and Connor Lewis on the program. And, like, like you, you were mentioning the, the sort of, like, democratic, like, strategy behind the whole thing. And there is this, like, mm-hmm. extremely, like, I, I don't know how to describe it other than just, like, this extremely obnoxious tendency. Uh to the point of it being like very, very, very dangerous, I think, to the point of like of of alienating potential allies, of like of, of this idea. If you even state the like reality of this situation, that like, hey, uh, Joe Biden has decided that he's going to support a genocide in Gaza, which I think is not. I don't think that's like unfair to say that this is something that's taking place. If you're going to even state that this is something that's reality or that's something that's happening and you're saying that that's going to hurt his chances in the election, then people will come down on you as though you are like against any kind of Joe Biden administration or like or, or you're in favor of Donald Trump. Or if you're if you're um, for just like 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 the the, the worst things of uh, a, a Trump presidency. Right. And it's one of those things that I keep constantly seeing, which is not engaging with the argument, but deflecting from the perspective of, well, you're you're not um, if you don't like specifically mindlessly support Biden, if you're any way critical of the structures and and the way that we have to engage with these sorts of things, then you're you're the enemy and we have to continue and we have no sympathy for you and actually your fault. Uh, that we're going to be in this like hellish situation that's going to be inevitable based on the <laughs> based on the sort of like steering the ship into the iceberg. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this is not, I think, no. particularly new for for Democrats at least since 2016. You know, the the expectation, and it's it's not a winning strategy. And I will say that you know, there was a lot less of it in 2020, but the most in- analogous kind of you know situation i can think is 2016 which isn't is not a good comparison that's not that a comparison we should be looking for um yeah but like the expectation that you can browbeat people into into line um it's just it, it's absurd you know whether it's the right option or not that's just not how you convince people and it's actually going to alienate people and turn them off and you know it it frankly is getting to the point of just like, at least among like a segment of really hardcore, you know, core Biden supporters, it's turning into a refusal to accept reality in front of them, to accept that even a lot of Democrats, in fact, a majority of Democrats would prefer that Biden not run 
like you know like this is this is not a fringe opinion this is not a left opinion this isn't just progressives or you know like um the the Joe Biden, far Joe left Biden or whatever is they, they at 33 percent nationally yeah. that is the lowest of yeah. any any like yeah. any uh presidential person any any president running yeah. for re-election in a century like it's absurd <laughs> yeah and his numbers are bad among democrats a, a strong majority of Democrats, I even saw some polling that suggested a supermajority of Democrats would prefer that someone else be on the ballot. Um, like, this is not a fringe opinion. This is the mainstream. But to a segment of just core Democratic partisans who, frankly, I think put the Democratic Party, like, as, as an entity before any sense of actual politics or values or, you know, a, any aspirations for what they want to accomplish... Um, it, acknowledging that reality is somehow, you know, somehow treason <laughs> to their preferred candidate, um, which it, it's a scary, it's a scary position to be in because, you know, that honestly, um, yeah. is just a toxic dynamic for any, you know, candidate supporters to have. And, and it, I think aside from the fact that they're actively alienating people, they're missing the problem. Like, because they don't want to believe that there is one. And literally, yeah. like, again, this is not a fringe opinion. This is every single cable news network is talking about the difficulty Biden is having having in battleground states. Every single major newspaper that's, you know, covering the election is talking about the difficulty Biden is having in battleground states. It's not like it's some, you know, fringe theory. It, it is the reality yeah. that's acknowledged by everyone except for a core group yeah. of just diehard partisans. Um, and, you know, I, it, it's a weird situation to be in, especially given that, you know, I think the, the kind of official campaign on the Biden end really has yet to develop. And so really you have Biden's flag being carried by a lot of people that frankly, I would not want to, <laughs> right. to be my messengers for anything. I Let me ask you something up, Robert, go ahead. Say, let me ask you a question, and this isn't like I'm not trying to be cute. This is a legit question. Do you, and I've just never heard this really asked anywhere by any talking head on any anywhere. Do the Democratic Party actually want to win? Are they concerned? I mean, let me rephrase that. They they would like to win, but do they actually want to win? Because from my position, where I'm sitting in the history that I keep in mind, the scorebook in my head. The only thing the Democratic the Democratic Party is not allergic to losing. Losing is not a an end all be all for them. The thing that they will resist and fight to the death and burn the house down is any kind of change to to, to liberalism or any kind of uh, any kind of change to the, uh, the the current status quo and economic order. Because for I'm for for where I'm sitting, just in my short lifetime, just not even lifetime, just a couple of years ago, Obama made the big call got everybody to drop out so you could consolidate, you know, get Bernie out of the way, consolidate support around Biden. I think we didn't forget that is genocides on you, Obama. Um, you know, and then the democratic freaking party, out now, by the way, he's freaking yeah, out. He's now. freaking out. <laughs> the, the democratic party stole, um, the, the Buffalo mayor, mayoral election from India Walton after she beat the, um, the incumbent. And no, and then he came back in a write in to screw to stick it into his own party. And so it seems like whenever there's a threat to 
where the Democratic Party's focus is going, whenever it, it moves to the slightest left, like that can never be allowed. But I think everything you, else is on the table. I mean, am I crazy? Do you also fell, you also yeah. fell into Connor's trap card. He's a buffalo in the original. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. His heart lives in Buffalo but, uh, to a certain extent. But yeah, I, I mm-hmm. got some, my heart, my heart's in Buffalo um, and my family. So, um, you know, I, I think in the abstract, if you talk about it at the national level and talk about it at the level of the Biden campaign and the, the DNC, they do. They, they actually, I think they, they do want to win. Um, it starts, and this is where like the democratic, like thinking about the democratic party as an entity starts to get muddled. And you start to realize that like, it frankly doesn't deserve to be called a party because frankly, any political party that deserves a name uh, is more coherent than this. Um, But like when you start getting down to the actual, like there's a lot that happens at the level of state parties. It happens at the level of county parties. It happens at the local, uh, the, the level of like, um, uh, of, you know, local city parties or however it's kind of broken out. And that's where it starts to fall apart because like, so w- when I lived in Missouri, I mean, it was pretty much open, you know, an open secret that a lot of the, um, democratic power brokers in St. Louis, who some of whom have since been replaced by uh, kind of insurgent candidates, did not actually want to win. They, they, they were happy with the status of having a supermajority of Republicans, provided they could continue to have their positions. And they, they weren't that, you know, interested in upsetting. Can I, can I pause right here and like, like, like zoom out a little bit power. and say like those positions are yeah. like, a lot of times yeah. economic positions where they're um, consultants for the Democratic Party and or, or they'll, you know, fund mailers mm-hmm. or, or whatever the hell they'll they'll provide services for a perennially right. losing campaign. But they get their they get their bread buttered in this in this process or they have some kind of grandee like like right. official position within whatever structure exists. And they're you know, they're, they're they care about that more so than they do about. Um, like like any kind of like larger victory because they've ruled out yeah. the idea of a larger victory as anything that's either like possible or desirable. Yes, I mean where I come from is just like my line of thinking is like and you say, those, oh yeah, yeah. they they, they want to win, and I, I and I hear what you're saying about you know how it breaks down, but my thought is like yeah, they want to win. I also I want to um, I want to be world heavyweight boxing champion, but I'm not. I'm not out there training. I'm not going to put in the work that's going to take to beat Tyson Fury. But if you, you don't want, want to put that the belt, yeah, if you want to put right. the belt on me right now and call me the champ, hey, that, that works right. for me too, you know. But I'm going to sit here and eat chiwis. Like I'm not. I'm not trying to do all that. Yeah. And, and that's where I think you you do get kind of the breakdown because, um, like. There's a difference between wanting to win and actually putting in the work. When you actually like yeah. city of uh, Philadelphia is actually a really great example. And possibly, I mean, I would say that if anyone is looking at where the the trouble might be for um, 2024, it's going to be in the city of Philadelphia. So for years now, for, for years, um, voter turnout in Philadelphia has been um, plummeting off the cliff. And there have been a lot of people in labor, uh, especially Unite here, that have been doing their level best to try to change that. And 
a lot of the um, you know decline in voter turnout is in younger um, you know working class communities of color, um, and so turnout in Philadelphia for a presidential is at a point where mm-hmm. it's like you know getting getting fifty percent would be good, and you know That's again this is, where I, this is the, yeah. the single densest cluster of Democratic yeah it's. It's it's a lot of people, and it's a lot of people that vote overwhelmingly Democratic, way more than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is is starting to get there, but you know, it, way more than Pittsburgh. And so, you can't survive voter turnout, you know, plummeting that much further there. And so, like recently, um, in the twenty twenty three elections, where there was a mayoral election for um, for mayor of, uh, of Philadelphia and for you know city council. Basically, the Philadelphia Democratic Party descended into a witch hunt where there were literally ward captains. Oh, yeah. That, was that would be my cat, by the way, for Not all the listeners. She's designed to, to knock stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, you know, there, there is a situation where they're literally pur- purging some of the most enthusiastic, you know, energetic you know, organizing minded ward captains, which is like, that's the structure of their turnout operation is their ward captains. That's how you turn out voters in the city of Philadelphia. They're purging them because they supported uh, working families party candidates. And again, not working families uh, party candidates in competition with Democrats, they were trying to replace Republicans on the city council. And so you and it ultimately boils down to the old guard of that's been in place in the Philadelphia, you know, uh, Philadelphia party for 30 years does not like that. There's an element to the party, a growing element to the city that's not under their political control. And so there, and that's where it falls apart because you get these people in more local positions that value their fiefdom more than they value winning that's where it starts to fall apart. Like the DNC is like its own thing, but really when it gets down to the ground game in a place like Philadelphia, you need the county and the city parties to actually execute your plan for you. And that's where it starts to fall apart because you have people more concerned with you know their ego and their power and yeah. all of that than actually doing the work that needs to get done to win. I mean, that's, and I mean, it just, it, it's, I mean, it's it's really concerning, especially in Philadelphia, because, you know, the reality is if you can't turn out Philadelphia and if you can't get a good chunk of, you know, the voters there to, you know, show up mm-hmm. on Election Day and you get an increased turnout in places like Central yeah. PA, so, which, um, which is what happened really in 2016, ID, that's a ballgame right listen there. listen to WHAVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Um, GoodMorningComrade.com. Get more information about our show. Um that sounds something that is eerily similar, if I'm very honest, to what happened in the recent uh, Louisiana elections, specifically for governor. When uh, for people that I mean, for in Louisiana, you might you're, you're aware of this, but we we had uh, Jeff Landry, who was elected to governor um, in November without a runoff, critically. And part of the reason that there was no runoff is because the Louisiana Democratic Party wasn't able to turn out like like heavy cities like New Orleans 
um, for this for very similar reasons to what to what Connor just mentioned here. So like these connections are not something these are things that can be connected across cities and across states and across this country. And it's not like something that's that's isolated to just Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Louisiana. Like it's everywhere. Um, I did want to change gears a little bit uh, in this conversation and talk a little bit about um, way. Like you mentioned, the work that has to be done to to actually win. And this is something that transcends like just the electoral politics stuff. This is something that turns uh, the way that I view it, at least, uh, goes all the way down to building up working class institutions that could that 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 is a prerequisite to expressing that kind of like broader political power um i don't know like like when i think of this i think of like building up unions and building up majorities of of workers and organizing a workplace and having that be something that's an expression of power and 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 it's not just that but also um building up community and and community organizations and, and and finding ways to sort of like reconstruct these 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 mechanisms that can actually like that can actually fight for power in the political space and also in a less like electoral space which is still political i think i mean you're talking about when you say um building up these organizations like civic organizations and unions are you talking about building them up to do what mutual aid or are you talking about electoralism I'm thinking of both. I'm thinking about okay. like just finding like, ways to express political power in which in 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 every way conceivable. I'm thinking about a a party. I get that, time. but like, what in this current in this current you know Democratic Party, this husk shell? It's not the Democratic um, Party. I'm saying a party, a worker in, in general. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Because I was going to say, what it, are you? It, it, and, and also, can I just for? say? Can I, can I just say, like, like myself? Like, there's some sort of like hand wringing around whether or not it's connected to the Democrats. If there is a uh, unit or some kind of institution that functions in the capacity that it fights for these mutual aid sorts of deals that you mention, and also fights for these. Um, these these political reforms and political specific projects that 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 we, we talked about a little bit here as well um like like i don't care if it's called the democratic party if it's called mm-hmm. something else or if it's structurally you know the same thing that's existed for a hundred years or if it's some, structurally something that's like newly built and like as has the new you know car smell or whatever like i don't care like I just want to get to the place where working class people can express their power in a way that they're not getting completely and, and utterly like steamrolled all the time. I can get on board with that for sure. Yeah, um, so, yeah I mean, you just have a, a you not even a I won't say a perspective like a cop out, but you literally you literally touch a world that I don't I don't touch. All the options are on the table is what I'm trying to say. And like, I don't know, Connor, you, you talk a lot about specifically in some of the things that you do about a building majorities and organizing workplaces. Can you speak a little bit to what, what I just mentioned there? Yeah, so I think the thing and I thought this for years and I, I've been happy to see, you know, I think more folks coming around to this realization that, you know, talking really about taking power electorally without building up working class power first is really kind of jumping ahead a couple of steps. The heart the, um, the is so far yeah. above in front of the horse right. that you can't even yeah. see it. Because ultimately, you know, power is responsive to power and without any kind of, you know, expression of working class power that forces, you know, 
um, elected officials or, you know, the, the, the powerful to deal with uh, the working class, you know, seriously. I mean, ultimately, what what level of accountability is there for anyone? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what level of power is there to, you know, to to achieve the desired ends? You know, if it's it doesn't matter like what name you put on it, mm-hmm. like you need to have that organized power to force any kind of um, you know, politician of any party to be responsible. 50 years in Pennsylvania. Um, at one point, union density in Pennsylvania was about 48% of Pennsylvania workers belong to a union. And, um, it, right, yeah, and, yeah. And that's for very specific reasons right. as well. Yeah, for their I mean, for, for proximity yeah, to was, industrial you know, facilities of, and, you know, uh, and, and and industry and of the of the labor movement. Yeah, I mean it it, it was like the industrial America, the heart of industrial yeah. America. And so, you know, in 1970, um, Pennsylvania passed the first kind of real um, public sector collective bargaining bill, and it is one of the best in the U.S. because, for one thing, it actually protects the right to strike for everyone, which is pretty rare. Even like, like even in New York, you know, which uh, has a Incredible. reputation as a progressive state, aside from having a lot of unions, um, the the right to strike, like public sector workers, don't have it. Um, in a lot of states, public sector workers, either as a whole or you know, in certain categories of them, don't have the right to strike. They all do in Pennsylvania, and. Um, that is incredibly rare. And that bill was passed by a Republican legislature and signed by a Republican governor. And it's because labor was like 48% of the workforce. It was because there had been wildcat strikes throughout the 60s from teachers, from municipal workers. I mean, they were scared. And even Republicans granted a different Republican party in some ways than the one right now, but, you know, um, but still, yeah, but, but, <laughs> not but that different, is, but, they but weren't significantly different, different. they had a change yeah. of heart. They were different because they had to respond to the working class in a way they don't have to now. Um, right. Yes. And so that a change of style like, more than anything, you know, frankly, in my, you know, in my, uh, preferred future. It doesn't matter what political party it is. They're going to have to deal with us. They're going to have to deal with workers. They're going to have to actually respect, you know, the rights of workers. Um, but you can't do that without building power. And I, I think that that's where, you know, if you actually want to change, like I mentioned, like we have a garbage choice in front of us. If you want to change that calculus, you've got to organize more workers. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, in a certain extent, to a certain extent, I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm not at all in any way discounting the horrors of what uh, the United States is capable of uh, either supporting or um, or, you know, or, or inflicting themselves in terms of American imperialism and, 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 and support of apartheid and support of genocide abroad. However, the the ability to impact that is at home and what the, the, the ways that those kinds of changes can come about is not necessarily like who you vote for, for president or whatever. It's how you engage with, um, not, I mean, like, not, like not just local entities. I mean, obviously that's, that's a key component of it, but like 
watching how those local entities build up and communicate with each other at a broader level. And it's just a fully systemic um, way to kind of engage with the, the structures of power that exist that are that. I mean, you got to grapple with them. They're there. You know, you can't just ignore the, 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 the power that it does exist in the world and the way that it expresses itself. There, there needs to be a way to provide an alternative that, in, that, that grapples with what's actually happening in the world. No, I mean, I agree. And you, you're, you're changing. I like how we, we've got off of. This is a message that needs to be spread a lot more um, by people with more influence than us. But it's just like the idea that, you know, voting is not the end all be all. We have a lot of influence, by the way. I don't want to jump in and say we have a lot of influence. I'm still waiting on that. I'm still waiting on that that Soros check. That's why. (laughs) You'll know when all of a sudden we have like like a studio that's I'm flying out to New York to record in the studio that looks like, you know, mini cnn then you'll know that soros check clear i'm sorry i'm building it i'm building it rich you are the most okay. listened to radio show in new orleans what what you pull me on to jeff <laughs> we're the number one we're the we're the number one leftist uh radio show on public airwaves in whiv lp new orleans that's how it is we're the number we're the number one I, I will say we're the number one uh, socialist radio show in Saudi Arabia. 100%. I look at the metrics, and there's like two people obviously just using a VPN. Is <laughs> rounding it through Saudi Arabia. You don't know, man. Mohammed bin Salman might be listening right now. <laughs> if you are in Saudi Arabia, like if you're in Saudi Arabia, if you're the guy and you're really in 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 K, uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you're listening to this, please stop. <laughs> Just it's not worth we're not worth it, bro. Like, I, I love you, I get it, but just just I can't I can't have that on my soul. You getting busted for this? Yeah. It's not worth it. Anyway, uh, so we're getting a little yeah. bit of field, but like, but then there is power that is on the table that we should we should be fighting for and scrapping with and 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 pushing whatever we can forward is what I'm trying to say, and 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 that power, um. Like that doesn't only right. lie at the workplace, but and, that's one of the key places. And I think that yeah, Tom, I mean, do you want to talk about one that? One thing is that you know, I, I always candidate. You ignore that part because that's not how candidate campaigns are set up. Um, I mean, it really is a question of organizing workplaces, of building worker power. And I think that the important thing is like building actual majorities and actually, you know, getting to a point where we take seriously that, no, we need to actually build majorities that force, you know, people in positions of power to respond because. When you say when you say building so, majorities, mean, what do you really mean? It really depends on the uh, you know mm. kind of the context. I think that let, let me contrast it maybe to to what I don't mean. Um, you mm. know, there's a lot of kind of thought in the activist yeah. sphere these days, and you know, some of the originators, and this isn't necessarily knocking their work because I think they're doing important work, um, but um, you know, well, yeah. Right. Dedicated entire yeah. lifetimes dedicated to this yeah. kind of work. Like that's um, like, like, not like to understand any of this. Um, you know, they, they operate on this kind of theory that comes from some social scientists um, that, um, you know, you can really 
create large scale change with 3.5% by activating 3.5%. And, you know, that's cat number two. So, um, yeah, that is, that's a tactic. That's a tactic. That is a tactic. That is not a strategy. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the 3.5% of your house right now. They actually may be nearing the majority (laughs) at this point. Um, so (laughs) <laughs> so you know, I, I think that um, I, I think that the the thing that's a problem with that is one, you know, the actual study that they focus on is uh, a study of totalitarian regimes, and if you know you've got a totalitarian regime where three point five percent of the population is taken to the streets, that's an indicator that a lot more than that three point five percent are pretty upset. They're will that many people are willing to risk taking to the streets in a totalitarian government, that is, you know, an indicator that there is a much deeper and wider problem. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, adjusted to kind of the realities of a liberal democracy. And, you know, it, the, the fact is power responds to majorities. Um, you know, a, a mm-hmm. senator or a, a, you know, congressional representative or a state senator or a state, you know, representative, they don't care if they hear from 3.5% of their constituents that feel a certain way. They care about, is this going to impact my ability to get reelected? And to, to actually move the dial on you know issues like that, you need to be able to build majorities to actually get people in this kind of system to actually respond to you. Um, you can't go on this like 3.5%, you know, kind of model. And, and especially, you know, I think that a lot of the kind of, emphasis on majorities comes out of labor organizing because, you know, we, we actually do have to build majorities. If you have a strike that 30, 3.5% of people are participating in, that strike is ending. Like that's, that's, a, that's gonna you're, you're going to be done before the end of the day. Like, honestly, like, right. <laughs> you won't even right. make it, you won't even like, make hell, it to the you know, line. You don't even want on the other end, you want like 99% participation. You don't want like 96.5% participation. You want everyone. Right. So it, it's a, it's a different understanding of power. And I think it's one that translates, you know, into a lot of facets of life. And, you know, I, I feel like this emphasis on minorities feels good because then you only have to talk to people that agree with you. You only have to talk to, you know, people that are like-minded and you don't have to talk to as many people, period. And, you know, you can, it's, it feels easier. That doesn't mean it's going to work better. It it sounds like what you're talking about is what is, I mean, like, it's a thing. The militant minority perspective is a sort of like a, 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 a sort of, you know, other side kind of opposite to this. Um, like, so the, 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 the sort of militant minority position is that this, this small sort of like insult, well, maybe not insular, maybe I'm being a little bit like dismissive here or whatever, but like a, a small group of people can sort of push uh, a, a large institution, like to do certain particular things. And I think that's like possibly true as a, tactical like situational sort of deal but in terms of like broad long-term viability for any kind of sustainable movement that's not that's not like how that's not how it's gonna and, last yeah, and, and at least in the labor context even some of the militant minority folks you know I, I i don't necessarily agree with them but at least they have an eye kind of in a weird way like they at least think that that milit yeah they're trying. Yeah, and, and They're doing they their best. That, that militant minority is going to then just kind of activate 
by virtue of existing, I guess, you know, yeah. a majority. So at least they're still thinking about majorities, not in the right yeah. way, but they're thinking about majorities. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think even extinction rebellion people are probably like in their, in their maybe, mind, probably yeah. think that they're um, going to do that. I, you know but I, I mean? think that like the problem there is that, you know, with like the militant minority, you're talking about people existing within an existing structure. They're existing with an existing, yeah. you know, large scale structure that has, you know, that was built on the idea of majorities. Um, and it, it's different when you're talking about just kind of, a, you know, doing these actions off into the ether and hoping that people pick it up and run with it. You know, like we need to build infrastructure and we need to build infrastructure that isn't, you know, donor funded, you know, I, and again, there, there are some donor funded nonprofits uh, that, that do some good work, but we can't rely on that. We need actual like institutions that are built on people that are built on building work toward, you know, bigger scale changes, um, rather than, you know, like uh, just a constellation of top down kind of nonprofits, um, and you know, uh, the 10% of American workers that still belong to labor unions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that is one of the sort of like kind of key issues that like, that that does permeate really quick. Let me pause for station ID. You're listening to HIVLP New Orleans 102.3. Um, one of the key issues that that, that like is constantly permeating in in, spe in specifically in this context, the labor movement is like we're we're. I love what the UAW is doing. I love the fact that the Teamsters fart for you, uh, um, uh, UPS workers, and they got a contract. That was, you know, it seemed to be, it seemed to be the best that they could possibly get. I love the fact that, like, um, there are unions out there that are fighting for their members probably more than ever. But there does also need to be a, um, a perspective of the labor movement that is to grow and it is to self perpetuate. And like, I don't know, I made fun of of, of Liz Schuler a couple of years ago when she said we we're going to grow like a million workers in the next 10 years or something like that, which is like, when you look at the actual numbers of that, like it's laughably small, but at least she understands, like, even if, if, if the numbers are like, like wonky or whatever, the, 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 the existential need for the labor movement to grow, for unions to grow. And to to become stronger, at least in a building is a is a building membership and building power capacity, you know, despite the fact that you know, again, the the, the actual details were a little bit silly. I think, um, I don't know that 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 at least shows that there is within the the the, the leadership of the labor movement the 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 need to pay lip service. Well, to and you know, I think that the interesting thing, and and I was kind of critical of the target too, just because I think that it needs to be higher. Yeah, specific yeah, the numbers I mean, of the target. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my critic as well. Like, is like, why are you right. aiming so like, low? Yeah, I think we need to be aiming higher because, I mean, yeah, if you actually look at the numbers, that's barely organizing it. Like yeah. orders of mag orders right. of magnitude higher. Like it's it is silly yeah. how how low. Um, but the are. thing that was interesting is it was so for for years. For going back to the 90s, even, you know, there's been a constant refrain about we need to organize more workers. We need to organize the unorganized. Every single, you know, AFL convention, there would be a speech about, you know, a very, very, you know, fiery speech about organizing the unorganized. And then 
but there was never a target. There were never resources put behind it or rarely resources put behind it. This is the first time that I'm aware of that the AFL has ever put a number or a target and actually said, we are going to hit this. And I think that's interesting because now they are kind of accountable to it. And it feels like they may actually, again, even if it's not, you know, a big enough number, they actually are now, you know, they have to, they, they can be held to that in a way that they never could be before. And they've actually put, you know, some money behind it, um, which I think is, again, it, it's a good step. And, you know, I, I think the other part is that, you know, obviously like the AFL-CIO doesn't really actually organize workers. Um, no, it's a federation right. of unions and the yeah. unions themselves are what are. But by setting a goal for the AFL and by putting resources behind it, I mean, there's the added question of like, you know, what's the knock-on effect that maybe that forces, like you start organizing, you start actually increasing organizing activity, and then that kind of pushes other unions into starting to increase their organizing activity. So you may actually have, you know, kind of a multiplying effect by the AFL, like setting this target and saying, we're going to hit it. And then they carry a lot of affiliate unions along with them because, hey, one union starts to have a lot of success, other unions are going to start looking at that sector and like, hey, you know, like maybe we can, I mean, it's the same thing that happened with all of the healthcare organizing, you know, 20 years ago. Um, A couple of unions had a ton of success organizing nurses and suddenly it turned into a full-blown, you know, like turf fight because I mean, you would have elections where there were three or four unions on the ballot, like, and that actually, in some ways, like, I'm not going to say it's pleasant, and I don't particularly like, you know, that kind of competition, but having unions feeling that they got to actually, you know, get off their butts and, you know, do the organizing work is a good thing. Got to fight for the workers. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think that, Honest to God, I think the single most important thing a person can do politically, you know, like, and I I say that in big picture, political, like political in the biggest uh, sense possible. The most important thing a person can do right now is organize their workplace. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent agree with that. Uh, Robert? No, I was going to say, I I love this conversation because I'm just, I'm just really tired of being in a just kind of electoralism black hole and see how, and I'm interested to hear solutions of how, you know, as leftists, we can achieve power in the future. Yeah. Um, Cause electoralism, I would, again, you know, beat a dead horse, but as the biggest electoral guy in the world, and it's just like the scales have been ripped off my eyes and be like, it ain't going to get no better than this. Dude, electoral so we, politics we, we have to organize some other way. Electoral politics are designed to be demoralizing. Like that's the point, right? Mm. At least it feels like it to me. I don't know if you might disagree with that, but it definitely feels like it. It's bad. I know that. Yeah. I know. I, feel, I know. I know. Uh, we feel this is a one-party state. I mean, the you know the United States of America. Like well, we really don't have a two-party system. Well, it, it's certainly a neoliberal consensus in the parameters by which, like, either of the two parties will go, especially economically, are are it's pretty narrow, right? Yeah, I mean the 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 political kind of the the scope of imagination politically is pretty 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 great. very limited. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, honestly, like 
we got to stop just beating our heads against, you know, the, the electoral wall and hoping that yeah. this time it's going to be a little bit different. You got to change the balance of power. And the only way to yeah. do that is organize workers, organize people like, you know, organize tenant unions, organize working people into institutions, because that's the only thing that's actually going to allow us to deal, you know, with uh, with politics. I mean, the thing, the, the reality is like organized labor doesn't love to be in the position it's in with the democratic party right now nobody wants this nobody wants this and when you, when you say that when you say the position that that organized labor is in with the democratic party you mean a junior junior, junior yeah. partner um nobody in labor wants this it frustrates everyone like i think that yeah. people you know like a, a lot of some you know people on the left um kind of think that labor bureaucrats or whatever are happy with this arrangement. No, they're not. No, they're not. None of them want this. They no. do not want to deal with the Democratic Party from a position of weakness, which is what's happening right now. Who the hell, who would want that? Even the ones that I'm, even the, even the labor leaders that I am the most critical of, yeah. uh, they don't want Yeah, that. I mean, it's. I, I would say it's nearly universal. You know, they would prefer to be dealing yeah. with the Democratic Party and with politicians and with electoral politics writ large from a position of strength. And that has not been the case for, God, you know, like 50 years. Um, and it's Long just been, a, it's been yeah. a slow decline into becoming the most junior of junior partners. And sometimes not even that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I wish I could continue the conversation, you know, for, you know whatever but uh thanks <laughs> whatever whatever bro well, well we, we we do have you know, it's, a, it's a radio show we have an hour but we can definitely like <laughs> continue it in in further episodes and obviously you know we're friends we're going to talk about this kind of stuff but um but anyway, Connor, where can we find more about like what you're doing, what you're saying? You're a you're a uh, you're a prolific TikToker oh, wow. now. God. Like what's um, <laughs> oh yeah, I got yeah. on TikTok. Um, uh, probably the best place yeah, right to look if you want to listen to me yell about the Buffalo Bills, go to Twitter. You can follow me at yes. the House Red. <laughs> um, it's going to be rough this Sunday, man. Like you know. I live tweet Bill's games and it's like a seesaw on my emotional state. It's like, great. That's so it's, fun. It's, it's going so fun. from absolute joy to just crushing despair within the same quarter. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> every Bill's fan, every, every Bill's fan oh, yeah. is like every this, single. by the way. Um, so you can, you can get that if, if you're so inclined uh, at the house red. Uh, if you actually want to like hear more reason stuff, it's useful. Uh, follow me on TikTok at Union Dad. So I don't know why I came up with that, but I did. So and people like it. So. Yeah, because you're a father and have yes. many children. Yes, my many my many cats. <laughs> I found you. It's definitely not Union Daddy. That's that's something else. <laughs> I have had a couple of commenters that have said that in my comments, and they need they need they need that's to find else. the Lord. <laughs> they, need, they need some Jesus. They need a cold yeah. shower. They need a, they need to be throwing a pitcher of ice water on they them. Allah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, brother. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Obviously, you're welcome to come back. Absolutely, love Just let me know. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Good morning, comrade. We love you. Bye bye. Yeah.